0: Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good Sunday afternoon to everyone. It is Sunday, May the 8th, 2022. It is currently 2.49 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas, where who knows how t- what the temperature is right now outside? See, currently it's 103 degrees. It's 103 degrees. Um, I'm, I'm 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 temporarily I'm delaying just a little bit. So so just bear with me because as soon as we got ready to go live, the uh the the indicator that we have, making sure that we have a strong Wi-Fi signal, turned yellow just the second that we I started speaking, which is always a bad sign because typically it just stays green from the moment I hit go live till we are done. But the, when the indicator turns yellow right at the beginning, that makes me worried. But I think we're going to be okay. Hopefully, we of course, we broadcast live on a number of platforms. So if one, for some reason, has problems, the other one usually tends to get, get us to the end of the broadcast. Sorry to, to mess that up. But I, when when I look at that, it's hard for me just to play it off. Like, you know, hey, everyone, having a great day? It's wonderful. <laughs> it, it, it's hard because I'm looking at it going, if I keep talking and the the broadcast crashes, well, then uh, it doesn't matter how professional it sounded because it ends up a waste for everyone because no one's ever going to hear what just happened. So it's better just to take a second, just wait, make sure everything is good before we really dig into any teaching because I would hate to be 30 minutes into this and then realize that we are not on the internet and then we lose everything. But I think we're good to go. So let's do this again. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome. It is Sunday, May the 8th, 2022. It is currently 2.51 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. I hope you're having a great day. If you're listening to us live, welcome. Thank you. If you are not listening to us live, and you would like to know how. It's very, there's lots of different ways to listen to us live. The easiest way is the Church One app. That's Church O N E. Church O N E. Simply download the app. It's absolutely free, available for Android or Apple devices. Once you download the app, simply type in Theology Central. Boom. Make sure all the notifications are turned on. And you can listen to us whenever we're live and all of our content is broken into different series. So it makes it very easy to keep up with everything. And anytime we add maybe an older sermon that gets uploaded, you'll get a notification knowing that it's been uploaded. So that's the best way to listen to everything. But um, yeah, if you have any questions, email me, newsif at yahoo.com. So how are you doing today? Having a good day? Maybe it's early morning, maybe it's late night, maybe it's the afternoon. I don't know when you may be listening to this, or you may be listening to me right now. How are you doing this Sunday afternoon? Well, I don't know how you're doing. I, I fear you're not going to be doing any better by the end of this broadcast, because we are in one of those situations where we need to finish something, but we're kind of stuck. All right? Now, if you've been with us now, I guess going all the way back to, I, I don't even, maybe 2019, it's been a very long time, but we have been studying the classic book, The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Kempis. We have been working through this book week after week. There's been times we've taken a couple of weeks break, but we've been working on it month after month after month after month, and we haven't made it very far. We're in book two, chapter 10, book two, chapter 10, the Imitation of Christ by Thomas A. Kempis, written over 500 years ago. It's a book that's had massive influence on the world of Christianity and uh, Christianity from many different theological perspectives and traditions and backgrounds, which really makes the book even that much more interesting. But we're in chapter 10 of book two, and the title of the chapter is Gratitude for the Grace of God gratitude for the grace of God now that seems like a straightforward topic right that this book is good that this chapter is going to challenge us to have gratitude for God's grace it seems to be straightforward but as we've gotten into this chapter it's not so straightforward and we kind of found a place where I was just really like I don't know what to do and I don't know if I have any good answers for you now what I was hoping was going to happen is is it was going to spark lots of discussion. Sometimes when I find these pl- things that are extremely difficult, I love to put them out there because in my mind, well, then all the listeners will be like, ooh, that is difficult. Let me see if I can figure that out and start throwing out ideas. And this particular, I, and most of the time that works to some level of success. This time it was an abject and complete failure. nobody, Not one person was like, well, I think it could possibly mean this. Well, here's my thoughts where here's my interpretation or, well, well, what about this? Or, you know, you were right. It was confusing. No, it was complete silence, (laughs) complete silence, which is a bad sign as a podcaster, but we've made it this far. You can't you can't just quit. You can't just say, well, it got too hard. It got too difficult. People don't seem to be as interested. Let's just throw in the time. No, I'm going to I'm gonna press on. We're going to finish this book one way or the other. We're going to finish this book. I'm trying to stay committed to doing it, but man, some of these chapters you just have to ask yourself, okay, well, you know what? To be fair, I think the difficulty of the chapter actually should be the thing that motivates motivates us to continue i know that sounds that that kind of sounds wrong right i think the the typical way of thinking is hey once you come to a, a you're reading a book or anything and it just becomes really difficult i think our natural inclination is to say well then that i'll just skip that that's too complicated or i'm just going to stop and i'll just move on to something else But I think in some ways, when you're reading a book of doctrine, theology, hermeneutics, and it becomes complicated, I think in some ways that should actually motivate you to dig in, to lean into the difficulty, because sometimes it's going through a very difficult book or a difficult subject that you really come out learning far more than when you're just reading something that's very surface, very simple, and very easy. Sometimes you just go right through that and you don't even remember it. It's when you have a book that you're like, okay, I'm going to have to spend some weeks carrying this book and just thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking. I think that actually leads to a greater understanding. So maybe the chapter should motivate us, not discourage us. No, maybe I'm just trying to, to, to uh, maybe I'm just trying to convince myself. Oh, but here we go. We're just going to go back and start from the beginning of this chapter. I know that's probably not wise. But I don't think there's any way we can just jump into kind of where we stopped and for this to make any sense. This what drives me crazy is the first the first paragraph is like it's pure gold. It's amazing, but it's the second paragraph where everything just the will seems to come off. But let's go through this. Here we go. Book two of the Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis, chapter 10, Gratitude for the grace of God. Here we go. I quote, Why seek rest since you are born to trouble? Question. So the, so the question is, why are you? Why am I? Why do we seek rest? Why do we seek peace? Why do we seek comfort? Why do we seek all of these things when we should know that we are born to trouble? We are born to trouble. It is our destiny. It is what you are born for and to. You're born into a world where there's going to be difficult, difficulty, there's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. There's going to be heartache. There's going to be heartbreak. There's going to be sadness. There's going to be depression. There's going to be discouragement. Discouragement. There's going to be hurt. There's going to be pain. We are born into trouble. We are born to trouble. Trouble, which is a reference to Job chapter 5, verse 7. Job chapter 5, verse 7. I'm going to, we're going to look that up really quick. Job chapter 5, verse 7. I'm not a big fan of quoting verses out of context from the book of Job, but that's a whole hermeneutical discussion. Job chapter 5, verse 7. We read these words. Job chapter 5, all right. Job chapter 5, verse verse 7. Yet man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Yet man is born unto trouble. All right. Uh, Yet man is born unto trouble. I mean, the, Thomas Akimpas takes that phrase from Job chapter 5, verse 7, and he basically says, look, this is a reality. This is, this is a truth. We are born unto trouble. So if that's the reality, then why are we constantly seeking rest and comfort or escape from it? Should we not just embrace what we are born into and unto? Now, we Like this would be a great question just to ask people in a Sunday school classroom or a small group. And I think you would get lots of, it'd be interesting to know the different answers you would get. Now what Thomas Akempis is at, Thomas Akempis, so he asks a question, why are you seeking rest? He seems to be inferring that it's just a foolish endeavor, right? Why? In other words, you get rest, you seek rest, you get some sense of comfort, but guess what? It, it's almost like, oh man, finally, I got some comfort. Wow, I'm so glad. And then you slowly turn and boom, you get hit with more trouble. And you're like, I need rest. I need comfort. I need this to end. You're like, okay, woo, good. That's a boom. And then you get hit with something else. Thomas Akempis seems, seemingly seems to imply that it seems like a waste of time to seek for comfort for whatever comfort you experience. It's only temporary because more trouble is coming. So Thomas Akempis says, instead of seeking for rest, dispose yourself to patience rather than to comfort and to bearing of the cross rather than to gladness. Instead of looking for rest, instead of looking for some kind of escape, instead of looking for some kind of comfort, commit yourself to patience in the trouble and rather than to comfort. In other words, okay, instead of giving me comfort, give me patience. Give me the patience to endure the trouble. Don't give me comfort. So patience rather than comfort, And bearing the cross rather than gladness. In other words, commit yourself to patience and to dying to yourself rather than comfort or gladness. That that, that's a the first paragraph there is so profound. It's so I I really thought that I was gonna get like a hundred emails going, whoa. That's deep. That's that's one of the most amazing paragraphs I have ever heard. Please, please give me more about that paragraph. But But it did not seem to have the same profound impact on others as it did me. I'm still trying to just wrap my mind around how utterly profound that is. That's just one of those paragraphs that like, I could write down in every journal I've ever had, and that's all I would need. In the, like, I could spend $20 on a journal, just write that quote in the journal, and the, and don't write another thing in the journal, and that journal would be worth more than $20 because that, that the quote is so powerful. Okay, maybe you don't believe me, but I agree. Now, here's where things get confusing. Next paragraph. What secular person is there who would not willingly receive comfort and spiritual joy if he could always have it. Now, the, the, the thing is, is when you read the words of Thomas Kempis, you have to always try to put yourself back in in the correct context. So over 500 years ago, he's writing from the perspective of someone living in a Catholic monastery. So when he refers to a secular person, I think he's referring to someone outside, outside of the, of the uh, monastery, outside of a, the religious life per se. So the average person who, what person like that, who would not willingly receive comfort and spiritual joy, if he could always have it, the average person would obviously always choose comfort and spiritual joy, if they could have it. For spiritual comforts exceed all the delights of the world and pleasures of the flesh. For all worldly delights are either vain or unclean, but spiritual delights are only pleasant and honest, sprung from virtues and infused by God into pure minds. Now, what is confusing here is, is he drawing some kind of, because remember in the first paragraph, commit yourself to patience rather than to comfort. But then in the second paragraph, he seems to speak that this kind of comfort is okay, but it's spiritual comfort. Remember, in the previous chapter, he drew a big distinction between spiritual comfort and we'll call this human comfort, and that we should always commit ourselves to spiritual comfort, not human comfort. And he comes back to this same concept. So think of it. Here's Here's the person outside of the monastery would they not willingly receive comfort and spiritual joy? Now, here he says comfort and spiritual joy, but the fact because he put comfort with spiritual joy, is it referring to something different than the patience uh, and the gladness spoken of in the first paragraph? Because remember, he says, you should seek patience rather than comfort and bearing the cross rather than gladness. So in the second paragraph, this comfort and spiritual joy seems to be something different than, say, a human or fleshly comfort and joy. Because he, he immediately says this, for spiritual comforts exceed all the delights of the world and pleasures of the flesh. Seemingly to imply, hey, don't seek, you should seek patience rather than fleshly or human comfort. You should seek bearing the cross rather than fleshly or human gladness. The next paragraph says spiritual comfort. See, the reason you should seek spiritual comfort is it exceeds all the delights of the world and the pleasures of the flesh. A spiritual comfort is better than the delights of the world and the pleasures of the flesh. So, and I guess that spiritual comfort would come from patience and bearing the cross. Spiritual comfort is found not in the removal or of the difficulty or a fixing of the thing bringing about pain, spiritual comfort is found in the midst of the trial, the tribulation, and the pain. And that it it exceeds all the delights of the world and the pleasures of the flesh. For all worldly delights are either vain or unclean, but spiritual delights are only pleasant and honest, sprung from virtues and infused by God into pure minds. It's still a very convoluted paragraph, but he seems to be going with this basic idea. Look, stop seeking comfort, human comfort, fleshly comfort. Stop seeking the removal of trouble since that is what you're born unto. So accept the fact that trouble and pain is going to be a part of your life and then commit yourself to patience within it and bearing the cross Through it, that's what you should care more about rather than comfort and gladness. However, and when you are committed yourself to patience and bearing the cross through the pain and difficulty, you will experience a spiritual comfort which exceeds all the comforts of the world. That seems to be the direction he is going. Then he goes on to say, but these divine comforts can no man always enjoy according to his desire for the time of of temptation ceases not. Now that one again, he, it, it's so hard to follow the, the train of thought here. So these, whatever divine comfort you experience, you can't always enjoy them according to his desire for the t- temptation and trial never stops. So even whatever divine comfort, you can't always enjoy that because trouble is still coming. So in other words, you, you, can't even, you can't even really be seeking divine comfort. All you can do is, is commit yourself to patience and bearing the cross. That, that you can't even really look to the divine comforts because, well, trouble is going to keep coming and coming and coming. And even the comfort you may receive, these spiritual comforts, he seems to imply that they're not going to last either. Then he goes on to say this. But false freedom of mind and great confidence of ourselves is very contrary to the heavenly visitation. So false freedom of mind and great confidence of ourselves is contrary to the heavenly visitation. God does well for us in giving the grace of comfort, but man does evil and not returning all again unto God with thanksgiving. And therefore the gifts of grace cannot flow in us because we are unthankful to the giver and do not return them wholly to the head fountain for grace ever attends him who duly gives thanks and from the proud shall be taken all that all that which is want to be given to the humble he seems to clearly imply here that one of our problems is any comfort we do receive we don't give gratitude and thanksgiving to god for it, we take it for granted or we act like we are owed it. And we're it, we, nothing, nothing is owed. We, we don't deserve it. We shouldn't just expect it. We should always be filled with gratitude and thanksgiving. Now he goes on to say, I desire not that consolation which takes from me contrition. That's a powerful thought. Let me read that again. I desire not the consolation which takes from me contrition. Let's stop right here. All right. He doesn't want the comfort. I'm going to look up, get us an ac- an accurately working definition of contrition. I think we all have a basic idea. let's get a, a working definition here. Contrition the state of feeling remorseful and penitent to be to be contrite or to have contrition is the state of feeling remorseful and penitent so thomas aquinas is saying he does not want any consolation he doesn't want any comfort that takes away from him the feeling of being remorseful and penitent hey, if there's comfort he doesn't want that comfort that takes away that feeling of being remorseful for his sin and failure and weakness and being penitent towards it. That's, that's interesting. That's interesting. I, I guess we could pose this question as we, again, we're just, we're just working through this, the, the. the, the Thomas a Kempis's writing style just leads to lots of difficulty at times. Here's a question. Is, is comfort, is consolation spiritually dangerous? By receiving comfort, by receiving some kind of consolation, can it remove from you a feeling of being remorseful and penitent towards your sin and your spiritual failure? He goes on to read this, or write this, and let's read it. I desire not that consolation, which takes for me contrition, nor do I aim at that contemplation, which leads to haughtiness of mind. So he doesn't want consolation that takes away contrition, and he doesn't aim at the contemplation, which leads to haughtiness of mind. In other words, I'm not going to commit myself to some kind of spiritual contemplation that's simply going to make me arrogant and make me prideful. So he seems to imply that there's two very great dangers to our spiritual life, which would be receiving some kind of comfort or consolation that really destroys a feeling a feeling of remorseful, of, of being remorseful and penitent towards our sin. He doesn't want that kind of comfort. And he doesn't want any kind of contemplation that simply makes him arrogant. For not all that is high is holy, not all that is sweet, good, nor every desire pure, nor is everything that is dear unto us pleasing to God. Willingly do I accept of that grace, whereby I may even be found humbler, more fearful, and may become readier to renounce myself. Wow, now this, this is getting into some really profound and deep spiritual food here. I mean, this is like, this is not a snack. This is not even a buffet. I don't, this is like a a life supply of spiritual food thought and wisdom here that we have to try to just, all we can do is chew as much as we can and try to digest as much as we can. But this is a lot right here. Okay. So let's go through this again. All right. He's seemingly giving a, a concept here that basically there's good things. There's comforting things. There's things of rest. There's things of peace. There's things that that may be so that bring about great feelings, they may bring about a great period of time, but anything that there's things that may be considered good but they're actually detrimental to us spiritually. He would rather be in a place where he is experiencing fear, worry, pain. He would he would it, it, it would be he would rather experience those things that would bring about s- discomfort, and suffering if it produces the greater spiritual good. Basically what Thomas Kempis is saying is what you should be most worried about is your spiritual good, not your mental comfort, your physical comfort, or your emotional comfort. What is better for you spiritually may not necessarily be wonderful in these other areas. So with that in mind, let's read this again. I desire not the consolation, which takes away from me contrition. If if your consolation, if your comfort is going to take away my contrition, my awareness of my own sin, my brokenness over my own sin, well, then I don't want your comfort. I don't need that comfort because I would rather be contrite than comforted. You may come up with the best idea of contemplation and some great spiritual program where I can learn and become more theologically you know i can become more theologically knowledgeable and i can grow in my understanding but if that's going to simply lead me to arrogance and haughtiness of mind and pride then i don't want that contemplation i don't want it then he goes on for not all that is high there's lots of things that are high that seems to be of great value they seem to be awesome they seem to be wonderful they're not always holy There's a lot of things that may seem wonderful. They may seem great, but they're not holy. Not all that is sweet. There's things that are sweet and wonderful, and it just seems great and awesome, and everyone's happy, and it brings joy, and it brings peace, it brings comfort, it brings rest. There's a lot that is sweet. Okay, not not all that is sweet is good. It may be sweet. But it may not be good spiritually speaking. In other words, it may be sweet from a fleshly perspective. It may be good from a fleshly perspective. It may not be good from a good from a spiritual perspective. Not every desire we have, we desire rest, we desire comfort, we desire peace. We, de- we desire so many things. It may not be pure nor is everything that is dear unto us pleasing to god everything that we think we it's so dear to us we love this we we just we just have such a an affinity towards it and a desire for it it may not be of god then he goes on to say willingly do i accept of that grace whereby i may ever be found humbler he he will accept the grace of god that makes him more humble not lifts him up So if it requires something bad to keep him humble, he will be more than willing to accept that. In other words, he wants that which has the greatest spiritual good, not the thing that brings the greatest uh, physical, mental, or emotional comfort. He wants the grace that produces the greater spiritual good, not the greater emotional, mental, or physical comfort. Wow, oh, that that's, that's massively profound. Uh, willingly do I accept of that grace whereby I may, may ever be found humbler and more fearful and may become readier to renounce myself. He wants the grace that's gonna make him more humble, more fearful, and more ready to renounce himself. Not the one that's going to make him feel better, bring him comfort, bring him rest, bring him some kind of earthly joy. So, in other words, he is more committed to his spiritual situation than his physical comfort. Wow, that... Well, I I don't even know what to say. I I don't even know what to say other than, like, "Oh, oh, me. I mean, well... I, I'm, just, I'm I'm literally just dumbfounded because it goes against it goes against pretty much anything in modern evangelical Christianity. This goes against every concept under the sun. It, it is so radical here. Uh, okay, I'm just going to go ahead and read the next part. I, I almost want to stop right there. He who is taught by the gift of grace and schooled by the rod of its withdrawing will not dare to attribute any good to himself, but will rather acknowledge himself poor and naked. Give unto God that which is God's, and ascribe unto yourself that which is your own. That is, give thanks to God for his grace, and feel that to yourself alone the fault and the fit punishment of the fault are due. In other words, he wants us to, re- he wants us to be in a place where because we've been taught by the, gr- the grace of God and we've been schooled by the withdrawing of that grace. Now, this gets kind of into back a Roman Catholic system, all right? But we've been taught, in a sense, by God, by his grace and his chastisement and other things. We should, that we would never attribute any good to ourselves. In other words, we should have we should have experienced enough of God to understand that anything good in me is not because of me. We should never attribute any good to ourselves. But we should acknowledge ourselves as poor, a naked. Uh, we should just uh, admit our, our poverty, spiritually speaking, our, our, our exposure before a holy God. We should, we should see ourselves as we truly are. We should give unto God, which is God's and ascribe unto ourselves that which is our own that is we give god we give thanks to god for his grace and we feel that to yourself alone is the fault and the fit punishment are the uh, the fit punishment of the fault are due we should just attribute to ourselves we're sinners we are weak we are failures we are poor we are naked we we don't deserve anything but to god be the glory and the grace power and praise I'll stop right there. Wow, that is a that is a profound section right there. That that is some that is some serious stuff. That I'm so I'm just blown away by that chapter. I'm just blown away by trying to even figure it out. So, hey, why are you seeking comfort and rest? All you're going to get in life is more trouble. Stop seeking that. Instead of seeking that, Uh, seek for the patience to go through the troubling in a right spiritual way and bear your cross. Die to yourself and understand that all the human comfort in the world is of of no true value. Seek a spiritual comfort, but do not seek a spiritual comfort. Do not seek any grace of God that would bring comfort to you in a way that would hurt you spiritually. We have to understand that we should desire spiritual growth our spiritual condition improving more than any kind of comfort to our mind to our emotions to us physically we should be we don't want anything that would be detrimental to us spiritual we should be more committed to our spiritual growth than any kind of physical comfort rest or peace and that we have to we have to admit to god what we are And give praise to God for who he is. All right. I could clean that up a little bit, but see, the goal here is not to clean it up. The goal is to give it to you for you to work on, for you to clean it up. Because there's some rather profound things there. All right. I'll stop there. You can email me. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. I do apologize for the beginning, that little bit of a delay, but it appears the green indicator never changed. It stayed green the whole time. Just that little bit of hiccup right at the beginning, and I just wanted to make sure we were good to go. So I had to kind of delay a little bit there at the start. Hopefully you will forgive me for that, but I wanted to make sure before we got into some of that serious teaching right there that we weren't going to lose Internet connection and all of that. would just be lost to never be found again. So there you go. All right, everyone have a great day and uh, email me. All right, God bless.